In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Have you ever wanted to be a guest on These Are Their Stories? Tell us your favorite detective team. Spot the Hey, It's That Guy. Enter the These Are Your Stories contest. One lucky listener will be chosen to join us and review a show from TV's most enduring crime franchise. And talk about the real-life story that inspired the show. Go now to lawandorderpodcast.com. Fill out the questionnaire and tell us why you should be our very special guest star. You have a Raphael Barba tattoo? Do you write Van Buren fan fiction? Did Ice-T cut you in line at Whole Foods? We'll pick an extra special episode just for you. Enter now for your chance to be part of our elite squad see our website for details no purchase necessary we don't actually sell shit sign up now for the these are your stories contest and if you tell us you love amaro you're dead to us for exclusive podcasts and more sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media this week's law and order marathon winner is eugenia flynn of where be victoria in australia eugenia will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoy and Chris Green, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order. Welcome to These Are The Stories, the podcast without the giant network marketing budget (laughs) about network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or The Mothership. And today we're looking at Law & Order Season 8, Episode 16, Divorce. She killed Bert, Jamie. That whole business with the ethics committee, we were conned. She framed her own client. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcasts, Rebecca Lavoy. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Kevin. I know you're a pig. Do you know you're a pig? I know I'm a pig. I don't <laughs> I don't need law and order to tell me I'm a pig. <laughs> Rounding out the panel is our very special guest from Ireland's RTE 2FM and the Chris and Kira podcast. It's Chris Green. Welcome back, Chris. Whoa. Well, welcome. I, this is so exciting to speak to you both again. I, I tell you something. I basically, since I was last on in April 2017, I have kept a very cool, you know, that whole don't text her first vibe. <laughs> I kept that, and I haven't said anything. And then sure enough, nearly 38 months later, I knew you guys would crack. And and here I am again. I had a lot of fun last time. Obviously, I've kept kept very quiet, but it is great to speak with you both again. Of course, um, a lot going on in the U.S. How are you guys doing? I mean, it's been a it's been an eventful few, we'll say, 
days, weeks, or months, depending on how you want to look at it. It's been it's been really nuts. I will tell you yeah. something, Chris. Despite your radio silence, Kevin has also been keeping radio silence with you playing it cool. The exact same reason. You are literally his favorite guest of all time. And he's so excited. And he was like, I need to wait for a really good one before I can talk to Chris again. So anyway, just so you know, it's mutual. I obviously didn't wait for a really good one. <laughs> well, no, listen, I, I enjoyed this. And also, we'll get into this later, but I'm pretty sure you chose the one with endless Catholicism references for the Irish guy. I'm pretty sure exactly. that was intentional. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, before we do that, no, it's uh, I saw a video about a year and a half ago of Kevin dancing in your kitchen. And I think I commented on that on Twitter. And otherwise, I have tried not to annoy you guys and I have tried not to bother you too. But it is really nice to talk to you both again. Nice. Yeah, I'll just say that, yes, Chris was my favorite guest. It was my favorite episode. Is my favorite episode title from Law & Order. Everybody loves Raymundo's. My favorite rip from the headline story. And I loved it so much. We submitted that episode to the podcast movement. What was the? Oh, the, pod the awards. awards yes. And we were nominated and we flew to oh. Los Angeles and we got beat by those dickheads from the blacklist. <laughs> Fuck them. But I know, right? Yeah. They've already been also been on this show and they're lovely, actually. <laughs> but <laughs> there's Rebecca doing a bit of politicking. <laughs> Listen, yeah. rumors yeah. spread in our podcast world. You know, we, yeah. we can prevent them. We try. Look, we recently had an episode here where SVU detective Declan Murphy went undercover as an Irish sex trafficker <laughs> overseeing some New York brothels yes. because yes. he thought none of the pimps would know anybody from Dublin. Yeah. Yes, yes. I do believe there are brothels in Ireland. It's just that there's more shouting, right? I, there's more shouting. There's more alcohol, obviously. There's more songs about hating the British. Uh, there's a little <laughs> bit more of all of those things as well as that. Um, what I love as well is, and it's genuinely a dream of mine, and I'm not even saying this jokingly, I would love a bit part on one of those network TV shows as an Irish guy but an Irish guy with a really bad Irish accent. <laughs> like, I actually think I would make my Irish accent worse on purpose. Like, I actually think I would be like, hello, I'm Declan Murphy from Galway. And I actually think I'd probably, I would probably, just for the fun of it, just because, you know, why not, I would probably make my accent worse, I think. I So, I mean, yeah, but you're right. Otherwise, brothels, those are the key differences, Kevin. I just think you hear a lot of, Damn it, Sheila, I wasn't ready. You know, that kind of yeah, shit. Yeah, like of that. course. Yeah, yeah okay. absolutely. But obviously no condoms because we're still in the Catholic Church's grasp exactly. and all that. So there's none of that. No prophylaxis or contraception. Uh, absolutely. Yes, correct. Chris, remind us of all the franchises. Which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite law and order detective team. Funnily enough, I remember the last time I was on with you guys, I, I described a station uh, here in the UK. It's, it's, it's based in the UK and it also broadcasts in Ireland. So here in Ireland, we get a station from the UK that basically just constantly shows law and order. And they're actually on season 14 and 15. And I'm really getting a thing for Green and Fontana. I think that their bromance, man, is like me and Kevin. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. There's a lot going on, and I'm really enjoying it at the moment. And I think they've overtaken all of the traditional ones for me. Like, even Stabler and Benson was, I mean, it was fine and all that. There was a, a certain tension to it and all that, but not the kind of quality bromance that you see with Fontana and Green, I have to say. I'm the one with the camel hair coat, by the way. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. I'll give you that. And the walking around money. Yeah, the walking around money. I love that expression. That's a lot of walking around money. He's used that a few times when they come across <laughs> a body with a lot of money on it. I believe I even use that expression. And Chris, who's your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team.
McCoy, obviously. McCoy, you know what the weird thing is, actually, funnily enough? It's unusual, but for some reason, McCoy is on a particularly irritating streak. And usually McCoy is my boy, right? You know, usually <laughs> I have all the time in the world for McCoy. But he's kind of been pissing me off these last few days uh, with some of his irritatingly um, self-important takes on things. Like, he's full of takes. And most of the time, I'm kind of sitting there nodding along and I'm like, you're right, McCoy. All right, I'll give it to you. <laughs> Lately, though, he's been annoying me. And, oh, what is the girl's name? Not the blonde girl, the black-haired girl who uh, kind of um, pale skin, black hair, big eyes. Kincaid? She's, I think it's Kincaid. Jamie Ross, check. the one with the short this hair? This is Jamie Ross in this episode. Claire Kincaid was before Jamie Ross. The one with resting sad face? And then there's, yes, of course, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, she resting side. That's the best way of describing it. Um, she kind of gives uh, Jack these big puppy dog forlorn yes. sad eyes sometimes. Not only annoys me more. So, I mean, right. her and Jack were, were kind of, uh, you know, irritating me lately, but I'm still going to go for McCoy and either her or Cabot, definitely. Or, yeah, McCoy and Cabot, we'll say. That, sorry. See how long that answer took. Jesus. I no, it's fine. <laughs> All right, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode. Law and Order Season 8, Episode 16, Divorce. Yes. The body of marriage counselor Dr. Linda Burke is discovered in her office by a couple whose relationship is as cold and dead as she is. <laughs> the victim was stabbed with scissors and her office ransacked. Cleaning crew comes through here around 8. How often do your people patrol this area? Every hour. What about vagrants? Any problems there? We don't let them become a problem. Okay, I'd like to see your security logs for last night, all right? Sure, I'll bring them up. All right, the receptionist said that Dr. Burke's last appointment was yesterday at 7 p.m. Allison and Dennis Hall. Must have been some counseling session. Found at the scene was a red baseball cap, so they know they're looking for a guy who thinks the election was rigged, masks don't work, <laughs> Tom Hanks is a cannibal, and Mexican <laughs> busboys should just learn to speak goddamn English. <laughs> and we're going to make them pay for the wall, right? Exactly. I tell you, brother. Instead, they trace that red hat to a guy who thinks he's Pope Adrian VI, and he says he saw Dr. Burke arguing with a woman with hair that was a ring of fire. So, you know, a really great eyewitness account. <laughs> Seems Dr. Burke also worked with the Archdiocese determining who should be granted annulments. So for you non-Catholics, that's the thing that will allow you to get back into heaven for doing all those things you did when you were married, sending you to hell in the first place. <laughs> Seems the former Mrs. Molly Kilpatrick opposed the annulment sought by her wealthy ex-husband. Well, it's just the latest round in a super contentious divorce steered by the, a pair of combative attorneys. No one knows what Dr. Burke was going to determine, but a partially recovered file from her computer hints that she was going to decide in favor of Gary Kilpatrick. The night of the murder, the emotionally disturbed and heavily medicated Molly left her son's hockey practice and went home. She tells Briscoe and Curtis she can't remember what happened, but they try to twist a confession out of her anyway claiming falsely the DA will help her if she admits it was self-defense. Before she can give in, her attorney, Sheila Atkins, breaks up the interrogation. Okay, can we agree that couple in the opening scene has no ch chance of saving their marriage? <laughs> You're supposed to be doing this for yourself. What, so some shrink can tell me I'm a pig? I know I'm a pig, like most guys. Look, women want everything from one guy. Guys want one thing from a lot of women. It's human nature. You're right, we're wasting our time. <laughs>
I was impressed with that little bit of dialogue because how many times can a guy be out jogging and discover a body? I thought they at least had a little bit of, you know, like he's like, oh, men want one thing from lots of different women. I mean, am I right, Kevin? Kevin's laughing because he knows. You know They're talking about sex, am I right? So, I mean, I, look, whatever, you can, uh, whatever, whatever little bit of levity I think you can, you can inject into the initial discovery. Um, scene of the format we'll say and then she goes in and she's I enjoyed this one because I actually didn't know where that was going if you understand me so yeah. I mean, very often you can see where it's going if someone's walking along the street a car is going to speed around the corner if you're in a park they're going to discover a body here I was like is he going to kill her is someone going to kill them <laughs> and then they go into the office and they as you say discover this lady who has been murdered with scissors and has a, a, a signature or has a red hat as a clue uh, beside her, which is very exciting, very intriguing way to start. Agreed. To start things, get things going. Well, you know who's on the case? Who? Perfacci. Really? Oh, Perfacci. Autopsy came in, no sign of sexual assault. Emmy thinks the murder weapon was a pair of scissors. He sees that that red hat says stains dry cleaning <laughs> and that it was a misprint for stands dry cleaning. I believe if your company's name is stands dry cleaning, that's 100% going to eventually happen. Yeah. That it's going to be misspelled as stains. <laughs> stains dry cleaning. This is what he came back with. Stains. He thought it was cute. How many hats did you get? Like this? Just the one. I had him fix it before I ordered the others. And you tossed this one? I put it in with the clothes people leave past 60 days. Then I took them over to St. Remy's on 30th Street. Thanks. <laughs> Why not go with that? Stains, you clean off a stain. I mean, I think it's clever. Do you know what I mean? I would have leaned into that. But instead yeah. he says he got one of those hats made and then never got any more made, which I thought was quite a disappointment. I was hoping he would have said like, oh no, we had a thousand of these printed and I have loads of them. But of course, the only hat in New York City... That, that matches that happens to, of course, be a crucial part of this investigation. So I suppose at least that made things a little bit easier for our boys, right? If your business is Dick Lipschitz plumbing, yeah. you know something bad is eventually going to happen, yeah, right? Probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah, 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 I hear you. Absolutely. Pope Adrian the Sixth, My favorite character. He might be crazy, but he paid attention at CCD. To let her enemies know she was protected by the power of the Holy See, by the authority of the Vatican, and the infallibility of the Pope. Her enemies being Martin Luther. And his minions, a, a, a blasphemous whore with a crown of fire. She was screaming at her one, two, three, four, five days ago, defying the authority of the Bishop of Canon Law and the Council of Trent. Come in. Right? He's literally maybe my favorite character I've ever seen in any Law & Order episode ever. I love this guy. I love everything about him. I love that he talks about the Holy See. I love that he calls uh, poor Molly a blasphemous whore. <laughs> I love that. I love when they Van Buren knocks on the interrogation room door and he goes, come in. I love everything about him. He is the best. He is absolutely the best. The guy who plays him is the best. I wish he could be on every single episode of this entire franchise. Chris, he's right, though. You can't trust the Lutherans, right? <laughs> no, you can't. Listen, you can't trust anybody but Roman Catholics. I'm just saying yes. that to you both right now. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but we don't get along too well with the guys about 100 miles north of here. We've been having this debate over which mm. form of Catholicism is the right one for the mm. last for the last little while. Uh, we haven't really gotten anywhere with it. We, we still don't really know where we're going with it. But <laughs> That sounds like it would cause trouble. It, it, yes. Obviously, yes. Chris hasn't watched enough Law & Order and SVU to think that you can only trust Catholics. As soon as the word diocese came out in this episode, I was like, oh yeah, this murder is going to be connected to religion <laughs> in some way. Yeah, we were like, ah, here we go. Yeah, there's going to be loads of priests in this. So that's interesting. Now, when they want the skinny on annulments, 
they go see Father O'Brien. Hello, Father O'Brien. Chris, are you not deeply offended by this Irish stereotype? Okay, so here's the here's the problem, right? In in shows like Law and Order, in we'll say the big network TV shows, there's always a certain method of storytelling, isn't there? Like for example, if I see a guy who's wearing a blue, we'll say kind of acrylic zip up uh, tracksuit and he's wearing black pants, I'm like, oh, that guy's in the mafia and he's Italian. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, right, there are right, certain right. there's yeah there's certain devices that 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 uh, the great American storytellers use uh, as as we'll say uh, gimmicks, you know. And one of the easy ones is either a guy who's Irish and a priest or a guy who's Irish and in the IRA. And I'm just glad it was a guy who was Irish and a priest. So I said, you know what, nice. I'll take this one. He's he's a priest at least, you know what I mean? And he seems like a nice priest. He seems like one of the good priests. So um, am I offended by it? No, I think I think we get off easily um, as, a, as the stereotypes. They're either, I mean, look, the IRA ones are always lovable rogues, aren't they? That, you know, are doing it for Ireland and at home. And sure, they may have robbed a bank, but they don't really mean it. And sure, they just want money to send home to their ma. And um, I think this priest just seems fairly level-headed. At least he wasn't up to anything too weird. So I'll allow it. You know what I said? I was like, all right, you know what, Father O'Brien, you do your thing. Now, priests do not reveal what you said in confession, but they are ready to spill the tea about your shitty marriage. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Would you happen to have their file handy? Oh, they had a lousy divorce last year. This didn't improve their mood. I noticed. Yeah, they're very forthcoming. Yeah, they just have no problem with it at all. And they, ha- they have no problem also, like, doing revisionist history about your marriage that used to be okay. They're like, oh, but did she do side-eye while reciting her vows? <laughs> we look for evidence of that. I'm like, what evidence would there be of that? What are you talking about? Go to the tape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a good point, though. I mean, because I do remember them making that point that it was something along the lines of if the, the vows weren't made in a full, uh, just, and open or re- receptive type of way that they're... There might be some case for it. How in the name of Jesus are you going to determine that, <laughs> Rebecca? You're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. Hey, speaking of, do you mind if, you, if I guys give you guys a little tidbit on divorce and the, um, the, the Catholic Church? I don't think they had divorce in Ireland. No, they didn't. I was alive when they made divorce legal in Ireland. They made divorce legal in Ireland in 1996, hmm. would you believe? It was illegal to have any type of carry-on like that in this country. We had a referendum uh, in 1995. Uh, the country voted on it. It literally almost tore families apart. And I don't mean in the in the literal sense, but also in the figurative sense. Uh, it was the hot issue of the time. It was The, the vote was, I think, 502 to 49.8 or something. I mean, wow. it, it absolutely divided the country. And All the husbands were against it. All the wives were for it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All the husbands were like, eh, cheaper to keep her and all that. Am I right? I'm not This divorce happened. So, um, yeah, it's just interesting because I remember watching that and thinking that that episode was made in, I think, 1998 if I remember correctly, and there was uh, quite a a relatively, we'll say, open attitude, even in the Catholics that are represented in that episode towards divorce. Whereas here, we'd just basically gone through a civil war two years before that in order to even discuss the idea of divorce. So I did think that was an interesting uh, perspective on it. Good thing she didn't want an abortion. Oh, Oh, Jesus. Hey, that's finally legal now. Yeah, that was only like three years ago, right? Like two weeks ago. <laughs> two weeks ago. <laughs> we only we're ver- we we really t- it takes us a while to catch up with these things, and we're only we're only getting there. So we have a couple of hey, it's that girls. Hey, it's that girl. Can you tell me the actress playing Uber divorce lawyer Sheila Atkins? You're just a fountain of misinformation. Billy has dinner with his father, who then drives him to hockey practice at eight. Molly picks him up and takes him home. Happy. Rebecca's got her hand up. She's 70s movie star Jill Clayburgh, 
who is in one of my all-time favorite TV movies. She's not super well-known for this. Yeah. Called The Face on the Milk Carton, or The Face on the Back of the Milk Carton, starring Kelly Martin, in which there's a switched-at-birth sort of, like, kidnapping situation, and that's really long and ridiculous. Anyway, that's Jill Clayburgh. I love her, and I think she's great in this. Two Academy Award nominations, two Emmy nominations, four Golden Globe nominations, two in the same year. Nominated as Best Actress in a Drama and Best Actress in a Comedy for Good two for different her. roles. Uh, known for the movie Starting Over, An Unmarried Woman, and appeared posthumously in Bridesmaids. Uh, she lived with chronic leukemia for 21 years what? before passing away. Wow. Jesus. Ironically, that's how her character died in a 1976 TV movie. Oh, no. Which is why I'm preparing my next podcast called Kevin Dies in Bed with 11 Swimsuit Models. <laughs> <laughs> I'd listen to that. I would subscribe to that. Give me down that RSS feed and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a regular. Li- can I come on that as well, by the way, Kevin? You could. We can make it 12 awesome. Swimsuit Models. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> hey, nice. Awesome. <laughs> Does anyone recognize the actress playing Molly Kirkpatrick? She didn't care. She knew he was lying about the marriage, about me, about his money even. I did. Only did? Be- only because she was a bit player at As the World Turns, which okay. I used to watch. Is it Haviland something? Is that her name? Yeah, it's Haviland Morris. Yeah, I remember her. She was a bit player on As the World Turns. She played a character, but she would also come on as a substitute like understudy as one of those like today's role of Frankie will be played by blah 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 and she would like substitute for Frankie because Frankie also had red hair and I'm like oh they have this lady on deck who also has red hair that's not how Chris is going to remember her she this (laughs) this redhead was the blonde named Caroline the girl who passed out in Anthony Michael's car in 16 candles really yeah are you kidding? You remember that scene, right? I, I you see, I'm gonna, <clears throat> I don't have a lot of these references. Like, I know oh. what As the World Turns is. And no, 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 it's not an age thing. Like, I am familiar with the concept of As the World Turns. I think it's kind of like a soap opera. Would I be right in saying it's kind of like in the ridiculous realm of Dallas? It's a, we'll yeah. say. No, yeah. it's, a, it's a daytime soap opera that was on for a long time, a long time ago. And yes. a lot of people on As the World Turns show up on these Law and Order shows all the time. I hear you. It's kind of like that pool of like if if you need a if you watch any mob thing from the last thirty years, someone from The Sopranos is in it. It's yes, the, I think it's the same kind of pool. Yeah, I know. I hear you absolutely. No excuse about sixteen candles. I though. just want to say Jake Ryan did her wrong in a serious way. In oh, 16 okay. Candles. But anyway, how about the actor playing attorney Paul Redfield? Anyone know him? That dick? No, I don't know him. <laughs> this is what I've received from her just within the past three months. Interrogatories, motions for legal fees, frivolous criminal complaints. I've got a whole room in my office filled with her crap. It's attrition, not litigation. That's Tony Roberts, not that Tony Roberts. He was Al Pacino's partner in Serpico. Really? Yeah. Look, in a deleted scene from SVU season two, he played Olivia Benson's father. Wow. Oh. But it was deleted. So we It was deleted. Yeah. But can you imagine if it had been kept in what that would have done to the the canon? Yeah. You well, he's use a another rapist, liturgical right? word there. He's uh, a rapist, uh, yeah. your dad. Yeah. Oh. Tony. <laughs> oh yeah, of course, because then that would have made us Yeah, of course, because her dad is and then that's why the whole um we'll say cyclical thing of now her son has the traits of Oh yeah, that would I wouldn't like him at all then. If we had to experience him through that, you know, prism. I'm glad that didn't happen. I'm glad they deleted that. Glad they got rid of that right away. Yeah, me too. And they burned it yeah. and shred it, and it will never <laughs> see it, apparently. <laughs> Excellent. They buried it in Alaska in a, in a disused warhead facility. <laughs> <laughs> 
Lastly, any idea who the actor is playing that soon-to-be-divorced husband from the beginning, Eric Belfour? We're already paying 30 bucks for a 50-minute hour. No, but he's also a dick. He's also a dick. Okay, that guy's name is Victor Vergahey. Eight Law & Order Universe appearances. If you watched Boardwalk Empire on HBO, you'd know him as Nookie Sideman, Ward Boss, Damian Fleming. Hmm. But you probably didn't watch that. Uh, he just won an award. Best Actor, 2020, Best Actor in a Comedy from the Los Angeles Actors Awards for a movie called Pandemic Softball. Nice. Yeah, it's just 10 minutes of him running around an empty softball field complaining that, quote, Corona took his softball away. Huh. I don't want any more Corona content once we're out of this. Yeah. I'm just putting that out there right now. When we're the other side of this, I never want to hear that word again. I don't want any heartwarming nonsense filmed or set during COVID. I want to <laughs> pretend it didn't happen. I want to simply erase it from my memory and get on with our lives. I don't know about you guys, but I have had enough of this COVID and these references to COVID. I don't want to hear the terms. I presume you guys use the same terms as a social distancing and yep. all of this shit. I'm just, no, I'm done with it. I'm sorry. Get me the hell out of here. And I never want to reminisce on it again. Maybe that's just me. So you don't want a Tom Hanks, Meg, uh, Ryan <laughs> COVID movie? sitcom where they're- No, no, I don't. I, we all <laughs> lived this. No one is bringing anything new to the table. You know how you know your divorce attorney is too expensive? How? Uh, when he rides off in a chauffeured town car. <laughs> it's time to work it out, people. <laughs> yeah, I did notice as he was getting into that car, I was like, man, that's a very ostentatious way to travel, isn't it? Like most of the time you see them hailing a taxi or whatever, yep. but I'm looking at this guy. This guy's getting into a big, black, you know, beautiful... I, I think the guy even opens the door for him, does he? And yeah. I'm like, wow, that is service. That is that is, a, that is some way to travel if you're... Because if, if even like a lot of them slum it and you see them in taxis or walking... I mean, God forbid you see them walking to the courthouse. Not this gentleman, though. This gentleman's living it up. Yeah, and that guy, that driver's been sitting there on the sidewalk for hours waiting for him to come out just so he could open the door and yeah. take him to his mistress. It must be very tedious. Yeah, yeah, it must be very... But he, listen, that guy's probably laughing. That guy's probably like, this is great. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to indulge this man with all of these utterly deluded fantasies he has about needing a driver. I'm going to tell him it's absolutely essential. I'll, I'll leap up. I'll open that door. I mean, listen, we'd we'd probably all cash the check, Kevin, in 1998 if we were living in New York. Do you know? I yeah, mean, it was we'd... before Uber. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You want to know how innocent people wind up in jail? How? Uh, the police lie to them <laughs> and tell them that they won't get arrested as long as they admit that they did it. Is that how? Things just got out of control, right? Isn't that what happened? Maybe she did something to you. She pushed you. You grabbed the scissors. That's self-defense. Yeah, I bet you didn't even mean to hurt her. I mean, you just swung the scissors and it was bad luck. It was an accident, right? Molly, you tell us it was an accident. You can walk out of here. Go ahead, Molly. You took all those pills and you accidentally killed her, right? <laughs> they actually were about to arrest arrest the wrong person again. Yes. Chris, I'm starting to see a pattern they keep arresting the wrong people, and there never seems to be any consequences. <laughs> I have noticed, right, that one of the things, remember how at the start of this I said you guys have had an interesting few weeks, months, years? I guess this is also a symptom of that, isn't it? On, on, a, on a broader, more, we'll say, macro scale and timeline. But it does seem that there is a certain cavalier, we'll say, attitude and confidence that some of these police officers have when they are carrying out arrests on people. However, what I really liked about this episode was, and I have uh, explained this to a few of my friends, and I think a lot of the time they glaze over, but I think I'm among friends here that won't glaze over when I'm saying this. <laughs> I will tell you both, Law & Order suffers from, from one slight thing, and I'll tell you what it is. In this modern, incredibly, we'll say, Netflix on steroids style of writing, sometimes 
Law and Order episodes are very front-loaded, if you understand me. Right. So all of the drama, all of the shooting, all of the guns and the, the excitement and the action happens. With- In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Say in the first 9 to 11 minutes, and then there's like 38 minutes of McCoy arguing some constitutional jurisprudence issue, which for some people can, can be a hard sell to get you to the end, if you understand me. This episode, though, the turns... God damn it. The twists, the turns. This is not one of those episodes. This is an episode where something new, where something exciting, where some wonderful plot twist is coming in every five or six minutes. So in this case, I am okay with the police's ineptitude and their aggression as it leads to a good episode. So I will give them that just in this one limited circumstance. If they were more competent, it'd be a boring show is what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. So I'm allowing that in this limited set of circumstances. It did provide a good episode. All right, now let's take a look at the second half of this episode. Well, of all the prosecutors in all of the world, Jack McCoy has the temerity to admonish Briscoe and Curtis for not playing by the rules. I know. There's got to be something in what she said to jumpstart a search warrant. I wouldn't go near a judge with that crap. You told her we could arrest her if she tried to leave? Who told you that? Besides the fact that you lied to her, it takes it pretty damn close to a custodial interrogation. We also told her she could leave anytime she wanted to. Please. This is not some dumb gangbanger with a legal aid lawyer. Nice to see where you draw the line. Hey. Forget it, Ray. Assistant DA and resting sad face Jamie Ross learns that Molly and her attorney Sheila Atkins believed Mr. Kilpatrick and his high-priced lawyer Paul Redfield were undervaluating assets. That's when McCoy gets a letter from the Bar Ethics Committee and he says... Ethics committee, what's that? (laughs) Uh, Seems Sheila has been seeking ethical advice. Did Molly say something incriminating to her? She agrees to talk only if McCoy agrees to launch a fraud investigation against Kilpatrick and Redfield. Sheila claims Molly threatened to kill Dr. Burke over the annulment, but Molly doesn't remember this. Making good on their fraud investigation, Redfield turns over a stack of motions filed by Sheila against each other. Well, it's gotten really personal between these $300 an hour lawyers. Buried in the paperwork, Ross finds a motion against the church to block the annulment, but it was withdrawn after the killing. Why? Because she knew the report had been deleted during the murder. Sheila framed her own client just to win the case. In a sting operation, Sheila admits the whole thing to her legal nemesis, Redfield. Detectives slap the cuffs on her, and later she's sentenced to 15 years to life. What is driving this horrible divorce case are these horrible lawyers. Yes. And the director of this episode said that Jill Clayburgh wanted this episode to be comedic. Yeah. To have some farcical stuff with these two lawyers. And that never happened. No, I will tell you, though. Uh, I would take either one of these lawyers in my divorce case because all you want Good to know, having, Good to know. <laughs> having been divorced, right? Listen, having been divorced, 
All you want is a lawyer who actually cares about your case and is as pissed at your ex as you are. But that's not how they are. They're professional. No, she was pissed at the attorney. No, I know. Yeah. But she's acting like she's pissed at the ex. Right. She keeps going after him. And she's like, I know he's hiding money. Usually it's the client trying to convince their lawyer that like, hey, can you please take this more seriously? <laughs> I'd hire either one of these people in a second. No, Kevin, listen, I mean, it's good to know, right? Rebecca, you probably shouldn't have tipped your hand like that. But uh, <laughs> I think also, uh, it's it's an interesting one because I think it does add to the drama and the tension and the animosity and the sense of of hatred, the opprobrium that you can get off them. You can smell it off these lawyers. Do you know what mm. I mean? And it does make for a much more exciting episode when everybody hates each other. As you say, Rebecca, as though they were actually invested in it. As you say, I mean, if you're anyway dealing with legal professionals, they're usually, firstly, they're usually very slow. They're usually extremely detached. They're usually really not that interested in anything that's going on. So when you see these two going at it, as you say, with the same level of hatred, that, that you'd have for an ex, I think it it's, uh, makes for good television. And it also, Agreed. as you say, would make for a very effective lawyer. If Billy was my kid, I would not pay for him to go to college. What a little prick. <laughs> was she there when you got home? Her door was closed. She was sleeping. Did you see her or hear her? Didn't you knock on the door? No, I went to my room and watched videos. Well, so, so she still could have been asleep. Uncle David, I don't think she was there. I heard her phone ring in her room. and She never answered it. Selling his mother down the river, A, calling her like an addict, saying like mean things about her, but also like busting her alibi. She was home, right? She was. But he says she wasn't. Yeah, it's because bro. he's a good, honest Catholic boy, <laughs> right, Chris? Oh, no, come on. No, that's what's known as a tout. He's an absolute tout, <laughs> to use a term that um, uh, would refer to other things we were talking about at the start of this show. You don't ever... if Listen, I mean, and I'm not even just saying this. If either of you needed an alibi, I'd probably give it at this point. I shouldn't be admitting this on a podcast, <laughs> but never mind my own mother. If either of you said, listen, Chris, if anybody asked, especially the old police, I was at your house in Ireland for the last two weeks, I'd be like, yeah, man, bro, of course you were. Yeah, absolutely. I have to say... I and now maybe I am maybe I am wrong here, but I am I don't know what kind of gentleman you are, Kevin. I mean, Rebecca, you'd probably have insight into this, but I am certainly like every Irish man. I am quite a mama's boy, and I <laughs> I would never ever dream. I think every kid would instinctively lie to protect their own mother. I mean, yep. no matter how much you resented her, or no matter how, what kind of feelings you had towards her, I have to say. I found that a little disconcerting because no kid of that age that I certainly that in my experience would tell the truth, knowing full well that it makes life worse for his mom. Absolutely not. Chris, the difference is your father's not wicked rich. <laughs> True. That's probably what You'd it is. Sell That's... Up, mom, yeah. <laughs> well, Molly was close to confessing, and McCoy thinks that an arrest will push her over the edge. She's popping pills, crying herself to sleep at night. Arresting her might push her the rest of the way. Pick her up. Get warrants for her home and office. Better put her on suicide watch. Put her on suicide watch. I know. Uh, is that supposed to be an act of compassion? Or does he just know we're going to really screw her? <laughs> yeah, McCoy, it's weird. He does these, as you say, compassionate and will say very almost avuncular things while also being a horrible bastard to them and putting them <laughs> under incredible, <laughs> incredible duress and incredible pressure. And uh, it is an interesting, it's that whole kind of punching you with a, a glove inside or whatever, a, a steel fist inside a velvet glove thing, isn't it? I mean, McCoy is uh, McCoy's one of the scariest people in this show. And I, and I don't say that lightly. That's what I said at the start, the way he's kind of irritating me lately. I think what's irritating me about him sometimes is how heartless 
McCoy is. Like, and that almost seems so um, painting by numbers, if you understand me, to say something like, oh, and put her on suicide watch. Because we're basically going to tear her apart, as you say, Kevin. Absolutely. I have a question. Yeah. Is McCoy suddenly a cop? He and Jamie, there's only cops because they take over for the cops. They interview people. They decide to arrest people. I'm like, are you guys the cops? Have you seen this show? <laughs> what I what I liked as well was, and it is a trade, as you say, speaking of taking on, you know, speaking of the demarcation of roles here, a trade union would be furious. But also, <laughs> if, if you look, there's a scene where, I mean, obviously in this, I love any excuse where everyone's undercover. So there is a scene where they're all in the van. When, when the um, attorney is wired. You just can't stand to lose. And you know exactly how to lose it. You're an expert at it. You're worse than my kids. You're going to get a crash course in losing because you're going to prison for murder. And they're all out in the van and everything. I love anything where they're undercover and like it gives me a shot of adrenaline like they do it a lot they use it quite heavily in svu they, they send people undercover even that scene in a van even seeing mccoy in a van with tvs had me like oh this is exciting because <laughs> usually mccoy is always inside uh, in a uh, in front of a, a library of law books and he's always in a very sterile uh, manicured type of environment so i even for him to have an outdoor coat on and to be sitting in that van was a was a few minutes of excitement i have to say and one of the lawyers called McCoy a twerp. Yes. And he heard it and loved it. <laughs> he, 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 it was, he, he, he ate it up. I saw him, that little grin on his face, that little smirk. He was loving it. Do you know what I mean? This is what I'm saying. McCoy is a bastard lately. I don't know what has gotten into him. Because he's thinking, I'm going to fuck you in about 10 minutes. That's so, what it yeah. is. Exactly. Yep. That's what he was relishing it. Absolutely. Now, at the sentencing, the victim's husband stands up and yells, You killed my wife to win a divorce case, and you're sorry! Order in the court. Did she win it, though? <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody win here? Did anybody win anything? Uh, yeah, I mean, he got one more night of visitation on <laughs> Tuesdays when there's yeah. hockey practice. I mean, That's right. Yeah, he got an extra hour or something. But as I believe, is this not the exact definition of a Firic victory? Is this not what we would apply here? Did anybody win in this situation? I'm not really sure. I think uh, if anybody, uh, you know, if, if anything, there was just utter heartache and devastation and 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 total uh, destruction on both sides for very little, very little in return. Because even the dude, the other attorney's also getting a few years of um, like disbarment or something, isn't he? Yeah, three I know he's years. not the main fo- Yeah, three years. That's what I was thinking. Like nobody wins here. Nope. No, I mean, what's he going to do for three years? Drive other people's cars? <laughs> <laughs> no, there'll be no. He'll have to tighten the belt a little bit, Kevin. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. There'll be no town cars for those three years. That's all I'm they'll, saying. They'll be walking. They'll yeah. be walking. Yeah. Oh, they'll be walking. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Walking up the steps this time, definitely. When Adkins was sentenced to 15 to life, yeah. 
Uh, couldn't you just imagine that she's going to end up representing all of those ladies in Bedford Prison in their divorce <laughs> cases? She's going to be Your like, appeals. you want to break up? Come to my cell. <laughs> I've got oh, some experience yeah. with this. <laughs> the jailhouse lawyer. Everybody loves her. <laughs> I'd probably keep it quiet if I if I was in, because I actually have a law degree. So I would probably, if I went to jail, I would probably keep that quiet because like, I don't want to be fucking dealing with everyone's appeals and parking <laughs> Writing tickets motions. and all that. How yeah, else are you going to get cigarettes? <laughs> that that's true. How else? I, I've watched Oz. How else am I going to not be somebody's bitch? Unless exactly. I, yeah, no, I hear you. All right, let's take a look at the real life story that inspired this episode. It's time for. Oh, I love this. Rip from the headlines. You think you know who did you it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Rip from the Plot points in this episode are inspired by the bid of Massachusetts Congressman Joseph Kennedy for an annulment. The son of Bobby Kennedy and nephew of JFK, Joe Kennedy and his ex-wife Sheila Brewster Rausch, divorced amicably in 1991 after 12 years of marriage. In 1993, Kennedy wished to remarry, and because it doesn't recognise divorce, he asked the Catholic Church to annul his previous marriage. Such a move would have no legal bearing, but voiding the union in the church would allow Kennedy to again receive sacraments, including marriage. The request took Sheila by surprise, as an annulment would mean in the eyes of God they were never married. She refused, forcing Kennedy to be re-wed in a civil ceremony. When she learned in 1996 the Boston Archdiocese secretly granted the annulment anyway, Sheila appealed to the Vatican. She argued Kennedy used his influence to get what he wanted. In 2005, Rome overruled Boston and cancelled the annulment. Though Joe Kennedy had been married to his second wife for 27 years, in the eyes of the church, he's still married to Sheila. Good for her. Well, these are some real white person problems. Yeah. I mean, not... is, is Joe the ginger one? <laughs> is it that one? Uh, Joe had a big puff of white hair. You're oh, thinking okay. of Joe's son, yeah. Joe the third. Yeah, the red, the, the ginger who just tried to run for Senate yeah. and didn't win. Yes. Yeah, good for her. I mean, there is an erasure component to this that I don't like. I mean, I uh, understand that it's important to practicing Catholics to, you know, be all good in the eyes of God and everything. But I totally get it because it's basically saying, like, I'm erasing you. That didn't count. And that's not cool. Yeah. Nothing about that is cool. Uh, withholding sacraments is a big thing to Catholics, right, Chris? In the Middle Ages, popes would put entire countries under interdict. Made them really powerful politically. They would basically say, everybody in the country, nobody can have sacraments, so if you die, you're going to hell. Nice. And oh, so, yeah, absolutely, yeah. That's one way to to put political pressure on somebody, and it's happened in all sorts of nations, and then they would, after whatever happens, the Pope would reinstate it. But, like, what I find so funny about this is, well, is that not the ultimate time out, the ultimate form of being threatened? <laughs> you guys will literally go to hell and damnation for all eternity unless you quit whatever behavior it is you're doing that you don't like, but you would be amazed at how much of an impact that still has so listen given that you happen to bring it up i i won't make i won't mention any names here okay but um <clears throat> friend of my uh, friend of one of my parents i won't even say which parent but a friend of one of my parents uh, this is not a joke uh, within the last few years right she had uh, a grand a grandchild okay mm-hmm. except her children so they'd be around my age her children aren't particularly catholic and they didn't baptize the kid okay oh right this is not a joke no this is not a joke the fr- my my parents friend was giving the kid a bath 
and actually performed a <laughs> baptism on it just in case I'm not joking with you I am not joking with you I, she yes. even did a few little murmurs of like uh, uh, Bible verses she got a little bit of water like while the while the while the parents of the child weren't there she she as the grandparent was bathing the kid and literally gave it like a gorilla baptism just to be safe in the eyes of the church yeah. that actually is that actually counts also yeah. I'm pretty sure my ex-mother-in-law did that with my kids I've always thought that <laughs> and then I, I used to be really mad about it but then I've come to realize like it just made her feel better yeah. right like I don't think she my kids are bets. going to hell but like yeah. she does Look, and so if it makes her feel better that's fine hedge that bet baby do you know what I'm saying and I would let her off I would let her off I would say if she thinks that might if she thinks that might do something we'll let her think that in secret she's spilt a little bit of water over the head and you know saved your kid from eternal damnation but also can I say would there not have been a much simpler solution to all of this if Kennedy wanted a divorce. Could he not have just brought her for a drive, um, driven the car into the water, spent spent two days in bed, and then woken up and said, guys, you won't believe it. I have forgotten where my wife is. I, I cannot find her. For the life of me, I don't know not where she again. is. again. <laughs> oh, oh, us Kennedys and driving people off bridges oh. and tires. What is going on with us? Oh, I think we should have done that. It would have been, would have been simpler. Now there's the thing excommunication, which means you're kicked out of the church yeah. like, forever, right? Yeah. But you all, but people have been been denied sacraments for individuals for whatever reason. In 2019, a priest in South Carolina refused to give communion to then candidate Joseph Biden because of his support of abortion rights. He went to church. Yeah, Can you imagine that he's like in line, walking up, and got like, nope, next, hmm. just move it along. <laughs> Sorry, not, not tonight, you. buddy. Come on, not tonight. Let's keep going. Let's keep moving. Wouldn't you think in an era of like greatly diminished Catholicism and like no one showing up, churches closing everywhere, shouldn't they be a little more grateful for the ones they do have, yeah. especially the high profile right. ones? Can't afford to be picky. Yes, that is my point. I've been saying this even in Ireland. The way there's obviously dwindling numbers, and of course the priests are like, "Oh, there's dwindling numbers and all that." I'm like, guys. Maybe open things up a bit. Do you know what I mean? Maybe relax some of the rules a little bit. Don't you think that could be the problem? Don't you think that maybe if you guys were a little more accommodating, let's let afternoon Sunday sure. service. Don't be so early. Don't be so judgy. Great things might happen. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? God damn it. Hey, speaking of, uh, you mentioned Biden. Great to have another Irish man in the White House. Do you know what it I mean? It is. Great to. Oh, As an yeah. Irishman, we're very happy about that. I hear you, brother. And now he's going down to that priest. He's like, how you like me now, father? Oh, yeah. I'm expecting like different lines at the airport I'm expecting like a line for US citizens European citizens Ireland do you know what I mean I'm expecting to be able to send away and get a US passport in the post I'm really looking forward to our reign for the next eight years <laughs> it'll happen it'll hell happen yeah. hell yeah brother of course it will absolutely look uh, among those who have received annulments by the way 75% of annulments granted by the Catholic Church are for people in the United States among those who have received annulments uh, presidential nominee John Kerry and everyone's favorite Voting fraud champion Rudolph Giuliani. When did he get an annulment from his cousin when he's married? He did because he was married to his second cousin. <laughs> this guy does zero due diligence on anything. It's one of my favorite fun facts about Giuliani, though people don't know it, and I get. To, I'm so excited when I get to be the one to tell him that he used to be married to his. No, tell me. Hold on, Rudy Giuliani, the Rudy mayor Giuliani's, former mayor of New York. Yes, yes. his yes. first wife. Was his second cousin? <laughs> oh fuck! No way! Oh right! I didn't know that. And then his second wife, was he his broke, first cousin, he broke up with <laughs> in a press conference, and didn't, didn't even tell her that he was breaking up with her. She learned about it 
on the news. <laughs> Ouch. Ah, oh, fucking hell. Oh, that's rough. Yeah, he's a peach. <laughs> <laughs> that is going to do it for us. We want to thank our very special guest, Chris Green. Chris, where can our listeners follow you online? Well, of course, listen, I mean, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I have a Twitter. This, you know, I, I tweet some silliness on there. At Hate Chris Green is my Twitter. At Hate Chris Green. Green has an E at the end of it, so it's G-R-E-E-N-E. Uh, I'm on Instagram. If you type Chris Green into Facebook, the little blue tick one comes up. I'm one of those blue tick dickheads. So listen, I'm sure you, you'll make your way to me. If if you so if you are so inclined, you and I will find each other on the World Wide Web. And Chris always likes to post when he's naked for some reason. Oh, I don't want to yes, ask him about Kevin. that. Listen, it's just freeing. It's liberating. <laughs> to, for you to know that I'm naked when I'm naked, it's, it's just it's it's thrilling. Fully clothed Rebecca Lavoy, how can our listeners follow you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, where I have a blue check mark, and on Instagram, where I don't, and I only post about dogs, at Reb Lavoy. You can track me on Twitter, blue check, at Kevin P. Flynn. All you guys, just suck it, because I also have one, too. <laughs> and we can also, you can also tweet to us at Law & Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoie. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for Criticism and Commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. Go to lawandorderpodcast.com, sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the Yoga Loft above the Bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.